0: Welcome to the show everybody at the end of the show i'm going to be talking all about these wonderful kind of new agey psychedelic festivals port elliott festival in cornwall england and the azora festival in hungary a couple hours outside budapest that i just got done doing I gave you guys a break from the Tros last week uh, the intros and outros last week because I I was busy doing that, but gonna tell you all about it at the end of the show in the added bonus content. Again, uh, don't require anyone to listen all the way to the end. Uh, it's just some bonus content for those of you interested after the interview. And uh, just very quickly speaking of psychedelics, I am doing a very special night of psychedelic comedy. In- In London with Adam Strauss. There's me and Adam are the two main like psychedelic stand-up comedians in, in terms of we're the only ones that have like themed shows completely about psychedelics that we've toured with. And we're both performing on the same stage on a split bill August 15th in London presented by the UK Psychedelic Comedy Group. And a part of the Breaking Convention conference in festival uh, in in London, and um, it, you can find the discount codes, uh, hopefully on Facebook, on my Facebook and Instagram, and Twitter. But uh, it's it's a really cool. It's the only time we've we've done a complete split bill together like this uh really the only chance in the world to see it so if you happen to know anyone in london if you aren't around there go and check it out for august 15th that would be really terrific and i just added tons of stand-up science dates to uh, shane moss m-a-u-s-s dot com uh website tons and tons of dates and way 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 more coming tons of September, uh, august and september dates just added since you since you last checked and a whole lot more on the way so please check that out that uh, uh those are coming in real fast and i'm hoping to get everywhere real soon enjoy today's episode are we yes Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today I'm talking with Assistant Professor of Biology at the University of Cincinnati, Dr. Joshua Benoist, joining me today. Joshua, thank you. Oh no problem! I'm glad to be here. Yeah, this is gonna be great. You're gonna be on Stand Up Science tomorrow in Cincinnati. This is I'm I'm so excited. It's gonna be such a good show. We're about to have such a good podcast. I just got a little tour. I got to see some insects and some fun things you do. Why don't we start off with a little bit of a background and um, what you do here, how you got into it, that sort of thing. Introduce yourself to the people.
1: All right. So for a little bit of background, um, I actually grew up. Um in southwestern Ohio and around Dayton and Cincinnati. So I'm one of the weird faculty. Yeah, you just can't you can't leave. leave. Just Ohio's got that draw. I, I I tried for years and years to leave. I left <laughs> for a little bit, then my first faculty job, I ended up coming back to Cincinnati. So yeah. I'm it's it's nice, my family's around here, so I don't have to travel every holiday to go home. It's just I'm here. And so I'm that, that makes it a lot easier.
0: Yeah it's uh it's gotten to be like a not that i know that much about cincinnati but it seems like it's it's a a fast changing city it's it's gotten like hipper yeah Uh, lately
1: (laughs) over the last few years it's they've really done a lot they've changed so at the Taft is a brewery that's down here. That where the uh, stand-up science man oh, yeah. is going to be at, and um, a lot of those have opened up. A lot of areas they have this old German architecture, and they've remodeled a lot of it, kind of gentrified certain areas, and so and added a rail car, redid the waterfront. So from when I was a kid, it's changed a lot, and so it's a really a great place to live as an adult, particularly a young adult. There's a lot of things to do. It's a fun city. My wife and I never have any issue finding something to do during the weekend.
0: Yeah. Um, awesome. So how did you get into researching insects and parasites? And
1: So my mom will always say that it's from when I was a little kid, and I would go out and I would go tramping – trampling through fields and collect salamanders and insects and snakes and Mm -hmm. everything else. And then I go into the water and collect crayfish and everything along those lines. We go on nature hikes all the time. And I kind of was always interested in biological aspects. I'd always really assumed I would try to be a medical doctor. Then I got into undergraduate and played football at a small school called Wittenberg university. And then going into my sophomore year, I had a injury. I tore my Achilles. Mm. And so pretty bad. You don't play any sports anymore after that. And I ended up in a class on cell biology and the professor there uh, said after a few kind of weeks was like, "I, are you interested in doing research on ticks? And I was like, all right, so it sounds like it'll be a good time. And Started on it after a couple weeks, the project started working, I actually really enjoyed it a lot. And then within about a month, I decided, oh, I think doing scientific biological research is the way I can see my life going. And so I kind of just 18 years old, just went right into that track and kind of been moving along ever since then when I did my PhD at Ohio State, and then went out the East Coast and worked as a postdoctoral scientist at Yale for about four years and then came back here as faculty in 2013 awesome so I'm, I'm from
0: Wisconsin originally and I, I have plenty of uh, uh, listeners all over the place I'm patting myself on the back right now but I have a, I have a lot of <coughs> listeners from back home uh, and I'm, I'm sure this will be especially interesting to them as there's all sorts of ticks all over Wisconsin mosquitoes as well plenty of mosquitoes who's got it worse wisconsin or ohio say here's the game you want to you're intentionally you have some like weird masochistic thing where you where you want to intentionally like go into some woods and get yourself some disease where where's your best bet
1: probably wisconsin all right we win it's much worse (laughs) um the main difference is is in ohio in this area particularly we don't have a lot of lyme disease ticks here Mm. They have those in Wisconsin Mm. and Minnesota and that area and then up in the northeast. And Mm. so we will see them up near kind of Cleveland area and kind of in northwestern Ohio. So northeastern, northwestern Ohio, the northern part, we'll see them. But in this area, we don't have Ixodes, uh, scapularis or other species. So we're not prone to getting Lyme disease in this area. We have the ticks that will give you Rocky Mountain, spotted fever and a couple other diseases, but not the deer ticks the black-legged ticks and so 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 there's no particular
0: advantage um to being in ohio to being here in cincinnati in terms of researching insects sometimes i'll talk with a researcher and they're like well the reason why the school is this because they are here in this particular ecosystem
1: i mean there there is um, i do most of my work on dog ticks and now on gulf coast ticks and we have those both in this area okay and so i do a little bit of work with the exotes Lyme disease ticks but so I can't we have a field station associated with the university and it's in a major huge park so it's within this big park and we go there and we can do field release of ticks or collect ticks by just dragging these kind of canvas sheets through the uh, through kind of an open field mm-hmm. and so we'll end up collecting a, a large number of ticks and it allows us to kind of have a local, field research site and so we can go there and mainly you get 15 minutes outside of the city you can start going into these parks in these farms these areas and find hundreds if not thousands of ticks Hmm. but wisconsin still has it worse because we don't have that many deer ticks well so i mean being from wisconsin i i
0: guess it was just very a very normal part of my upbringing you were always checking for ticks and that sort of thing and um, but it, how pervasive are our ticks in say just the US generally are they
1: everywhere or? yeah they're they're pretty much everywhere you'll find them are they every... everywhere
0: like in the world basically yeah. other than like Maybe Antarctica nope, or something.
1: They're in Antarctica too.
0: There because I, I I saw what's this uh, what's this thing on your wall? Oh, here? my Antarctic Service Medal. Yeah. So I was <laughs> I, I was lucky enough. So I might. It, by the way, if, uh, if if you happen to notice that missing after I
1: <laughs> after I leave, so I would like to say like I'm gonna be the top suspect. That's my probably <laughs> one of my proudest achievements. But there's only one reason you get to Antarctica a uh, uh, service medal for. You just got to be there for 30 days. Oh, okay. So you don't get it for any like special research or anything along those lines. Okay. You just, you get I'll it sign for, me up. for being down there a certain number of days. And so it's a that's, great
0: looking medal. Oh yeah. In my, I got 30, I got nothing to do. Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll go spend 30 days in Antarctica. And
1: you can. And so it's, but <laughs> you either, there's only really, if you want to spend that amount of time down there, you either have to be a scientist or staff. Okay. And staff, they're always looking for doctors, carpenters, and electricians.
0: They don't need any comedians.
1: No, but if you're willing to be... Are you sure?
0: I I mean, I feel like if it's that cold, you're going to need just like a little bit to... Someone to liven things up a little bit around this. So they
1: would appreciate that, but they also need people to clean up garbage <laughs> and that sort of like <laughs> okay. to manage that. So it's there's always positions and they're always looking for staff because, but it's not 30 days, it's six months. Wow. So you can't, um, when you go, as so staff, if,
0: if there's someone listening right now that's just like, I've always wanted to go to a- Antarctica, and it, it, that's like not that hard of a, thing to do
1: it's still pretty difficult because it, there's a lot of people who want to go to wow, Antarctica.
0: really and, I, I mean i guess it's one of those things where i i never i don't understand why people like want to climb everest and stuff that has no appeal to me but other people it's everything they've ever dreamed of
1: oh it, it's it was great um i was there in 2007 2008 then 2017 hmm. and you go down there and there's a research building and so you have your labs on the bottom floor, the mess hall and offices on the second floor, and then your dorms on the top floor. There's a bar there, there's a gym. It's but you're particularly as scientists you get to go around to all these different islands right on the uh, right off the coast. And the base I go to, it's not you you're thinking Antarctica, you're thinking frozen tundra and all that sort of thing, but on the coast for about a two or three month period each year, a lot of the snow melts mm-hmm. and there's actually grass. And so that's where a lot of the biological research is going on. Mm. And because, but if you get to like the South pole, South pole, there's really nothing alive there other than bacteria and those things. Cause it's just frozen the whole time. But here they actually have a summer, an Austral summer each year. Mm. So, but it's, 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 it's a great experience and anybody that can go down. You should. And it's, it's fun, but what's a,
0: the what's the bar like? What's the nightlife scene? Are you sure they don't need a little entertainment down there?
1: They, they do have they do have a nightlife scene there, but it's <laughs> it, I wouldn't quite call it like it's mainly it'd be more equivalent to like someone built a bar in their basement. Okay, and they have a small little bar, a pool table. And a ping pong table that you happen to sit on top of the pool table. Uh-huh. And that's pretty much it. And there's uh, there's only about this space I went to. There's only, at the max, there's 45 people on it. Okay, And so maybe every night you'll get a couple people that'll go and have like a drink or two. And then every so often, maybe during bigger events. So they'll have like a Super Bowl party and that sort of thing mm-hmm. where you'll get a lot more people. So I, I was actually there in the the super bowl where the patriots came back and beat the falcons Mm -hmm. and so there was a, a super bowl party happened that there was another research vessel there so usually they do like um kind of super bowl party type food and that sort of thing but it's still not there's not a lot of people it's 45 people i how are they is there how are supplies getting down there is everything flown no it's uh, for that base since it's on the coast they have a a dock okay and so you you to go to that when you go to the tip of Chile, and then you get on the a boat called the um lawrence Gould, and then that will take you down along with all your supplies all your fresh fruits and vegetables well if you end up the ship only comes back once a month, you end up running out of a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. Hmm. But during the summertime, there's a lot of tourist ships that stop by too, and they get tours of the base. And they're usually nice enough to donate a couple boxes of fresh fruits and vegetables and that sort of thing Hmm. to the staff there. But when they get longer periods of time, they're relying on canned and frozen vegetables
0: yeah okay i'm uh i'm less about getting the metal now now i'm kind of like maybe like Three, a three or four day little pop-in to Antarctica yeah. is more my speed.
1: But those aren't cheap, though. <laughs> Even those short trips down there can I, run you eight ten thousand dollars
0: $10,000. I'll have to just like host a TV show or something yeah. like that, I guess. Um, okay, well, I mean, it would be wonderful to do a Here We Are podcast from Antarctica.
1: So the one thing, though, is I actually did get to meet Dan Aykroyd while I was down there. What? So Dan, D- <laughs> Dan Aykroyd. And this was in two thousand and eight. And whoa <laughs> Okay, what was he doing down there? Just he a vacation? Was a, a vacation. So there was um a uh, Paul Allen who was you you'll probably know Paul Allen. He's the Microsoft billionaire. I believe he owned the Trailblazers, okay. the basketball team. Um, but I know he owned the Seahawks, and so he's one of the Microsoft mm-hmm. group that started that. So he had a, a ship called the um, Octopus, and it was an ice capable ship and. Himself and Paul, uh, Paul Allen and Dan Aykroyd and a few other people just came down on a tour, and they were actually um, nice enough that they came down. They took a tour of the base. Um, both Paul Allen and Dan, Dan Aykroyd were r- awesome. They were very nice. They actually had hundreds of questions. They were just asking, like, "Oh, you're doing this research on these ticks and these ones down here. What do you want to find?" what's your hope from it and they had so many questions but then they actually were nice enough to let us come on to their um the yacht for and by a yacht it wasn't like a small it was like a 300 foot ship yeah and then they allowed us and hosted us for dinner hmm. on there and um uh, Paul Allen played guitar Dan Aykroyd sung and they had a little concert and it was it was a great time and they were very hospitable host very fun and they allowed us to tour of the ship donated a whole crates and crates of like perishable supplies that we really could use yeah and um they had us for dinner and then
0: Oh man! Headed out afterwards. All right, I gotta get to that Dan Aykroyd level, I guess. I mean, that's not that's not exactly shooting for the stars. I feel like that's just enough to take a sweet (laughs) trip to Antarctica. Um, All right, well, uh, so uh, (laughs) back to your actual work (laughs) now. Now, I just want to talk about Antarctica and Dan Aykroyd.
1: The whole podcast. Um, That's perfectly fine (laughs) if that's what you want to talk about. I mean, I've I've been talking about that for years. I think. (laughs) Uh, so, what? What? Uh,
0: how in the world are ticks in Antarctica? I, I have have ticks just sp- evolved and sprung up everywhere
1: independently of one another, or do no. they start and? In- they probably started in one specific area. I mean, they've been around for since. If I remember correctly, since dinosaurs. And so they, they've been around for a long time. Yeah. And so, um, they get distributed. So the ones down there are either called Antarctic ticks or seabird ticks, and they actually have bipolar distribution. So they're in the Northern hemisphere and in the Southern. Hmm. And what they do is they're, they're pest of seabirds. So there's seabirds that actually migrate back and forth. And so, what'll happen is... is so, wait, is this, wait, this is the same species that's in both basically the same? Basically the same. There's some hmm. thoughts of that they they might not be able to hmm. actually mate anymore. And there's been some... It's a not 100% sure, but for all intents and purposes, yes. Wow. And so, they probably... Um, a bird that was migrating back and forth probably brought them um, distributed into both poles. And then like we, ah. we, we find a lot of times they're pest of penguins and so when a penguin they'll come in they'll roost and so they'll mate and then they'll roost they'll have their eggs and then what'll happen with that is they um the ticks hide in the rocks around them and so they'll come up parasitize the penguins Mm. feed and go down and some of the the rocks we flip over like kind of close to where the penguins were at at some point, you'll find hundreds if not thousands of ticks. Hmm.
0: So are these birds getting all sorts of diseases as
1: well? Yeah, or? They, there's bird Lyme disease. Really? And so the, 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 some of these ticks will transmit a Borrelia bacterial species similar to humans or your dog or a lot of other organs will get Lyme disease. How is
0: Lyme disease expressed in birds i have no idea okay and
1: so i'm guessing probably similar issues they probably end up with initially a small fever and then and initially it comes in just like as a normal kind of bacterial disease and then later on they probably do end up with similar issues Hmm. because you get the similar you get similar manifestations of the disease in your pets as they do in people Hmm. so you're going to be talking on
0: stand-up science about um, some of these many trade-offs yeah. uh, in in these um, complex ecosystems, and it, so I, why doesn't the tick? Uh, it, it, you'd think transferring disease is bad for the host, and if it's bad for the host, it's potentially bad
1: for the tick as well. How is all of this working um, in unison? I mean, a lot, for a lot of so mosquitoes, ticks, and a lot of the diseases they get. And they transmit. It's not always good for them Mm -hmm. either. And so it's this complex interplay between this parasite, the vector, and the host. So a lot of times, what you'll end up getting is so, for example, like malaria. It's there's been a few studies where mosquitoes are more likely to bite somebody who's already infected with malaria. It so it's not always good for them either. Mm. And in a lot of cases, they. It'll reduce their reproduction, reduce their feeding efficiency, and then reduce our stress tolerance, uh, their longevity. So they, it's this arms race, and so they're trying to get rid of it too. So a better scenario, a lot of times for most vectors, would be is if they didn't transmit anything, because it's detrimental to them. So like, right. if a mosquito uh, picks up a malaria parasite, it goes in through their gut, and then has to pierce and migrate into their gut tissue and develop there and then emerge from the uh, gut tissue and then migrate to the salivary glands. That's not without damage to the mosquito. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not good for them either. And so if the best scenario for them would be is if they could just feed on the host and then I have to worry about it. So it's not necessarily thinking that they don't want it either. And so it's, it's sometimes better if you can just if they didn't transmit the disease either mm-hmm. and in very few situations does it actually promote fitness and make the mosquitoes better or mm-hmm. ticks or CT flies or fleas and so you can just kind of go through all of the insect and arthropod vectors hmm. and how do how do some of these
0: um diseases evolve and find their um uh their equilibrium or what's the uh uh, what's the what is it ecc or uh,
1: where you don't want to kill the the, host and yeah it's this never-ending kind of race like you don't want to have a genotype like so for a virus or um parasite or those you don't want to have that genotype that kills that completely always kills your host because if it always kills your host, then the parasite or virus or bacteria won't probably last. But then you um, – you so you want to have it usually where they get sick and spread it. And so it's this delicate balance and kind of – you have to have these trade-offs where you can – get into the host and if you reproduce too quickly great you've reproduced a lot you made a lot of your progeny it might be better that it gets picked up by the next mosquito or tick and gets moved on but if you kill the host before you get bitten by the next mosquito or tick or other blood-feeding insect then it's you're not going to propagate the life cycle mm-hmm. so you kind of have to have these genotypes that allow this balance in this uh propagation to occur
2: hmm
0: um, so you said that ticks have been around since dinosaurs. How many species of ticks do we know of?
1: Oh, I, I don't even know the exact number off the top. I would say th- there's at least hundreds, probably more of thousands of species. Mm. So there's a lot of very specialized. So maybe ones that impact humans either through um, direct biting on humans or through agricultural impacts so biting animals that are important to us maybe 60 to 80 that are really truly important um maybe a, a couple dozen more potentially might be have some moderate importance but there's a lot of very specialized ticks as well so there'll be a tick that maybe you only find associated with possums in the certain areas of northern quebec mm. And you have like those very specialized tick species versus ones that might be more generalist or opportunist. And so there'll be ones that will feed like, so they'll bite raccoon, but then they'll also bite other ones. And then they'll bite humans and f- bite and feed on humans if they're in areas where you actually have, uh, they, where they intersect with people. Mm-hmm. So what are you actually, um, what, what specifically are you doing here? When
0: you walked me around, showed me the, the many different rooms with a bunch of different studies going on. Can you, uh, can you share a few of yeah,
1: the studies that you have? Yeah, I'd be doing? more than happy to. Um, we have a few different areas of research. So we have, um, start with one of them. We work on uh, live birth in insect systems. So, re- so most people, when they think of insects, they actually think that, they, oh, they lay eggs. Well, that's not the case for all of them. And actually, the number of times live birth, so rather than depositing an egg, you deposit a live offspring, has evolved more times in in flies than it ever has in vertebrate systems. Hmm. And so that's just flies. And it's evolved in cockroaches, and it's evolved in earwigs, and it's involved in a few other systems as well.
0: What was the thing you're show? The video that you showed me that it looked like a clown car or something. That like was
1: that? a viviparous cockroach species.
0: Is that something someone can a, a listener can Google and and, and see here not maybe yet post. at this
1: point? But we can. Okay. We, I
0: can post it. Maybe, maybe I'll. Uh, yeah, I could post it on the Here We Are yeah. podcast website or something like that. Yeah. That was and, interesting.
1: But you could also, if you wanted to Google. Even if that's not up yet, you, that also happens in flies and you can Google live birth in C. flies. Hmm. And these are transmit African trypanosomiasis. and there's a few videos of them giving live birth. And so it's one fly will give birth to a maggot that's as big as, or sometimes even bigger than the actual mom. Hmm. And so that's a lot of investment. And so rather than, it, you normally think of like a house fly, it'll go in lay a couple hundred eggs versus this is a fly that will only give birth to one larva every 10 days. Hmm. And so it it, ha- it has to feed it enough that it grows a full size. It doesn't feed as a maggot once it's outside the mop. It just immediately burrows into the ground and pupates. Hmm. And so it's it's kind of, that's kind of the, Kind of the most pushed in this system, where all of the nutrients for development only come from the mom.
0: Hmm. What's the most common form of reproduction in invertebrates?
1: Egg laying. Egg laying. Yeah, yeah egg laying is much more common, but it's um, and it's kind of what we consider the basal or like the base system. Like it's what in generally all insects do. But then some of them have evolved under these special situations to where live birth may be better. Hmm. And the reason they think that evolved is there's a lot of different suggestions. And there was, there's a famous um, evolutionary biologist, um, E.O. Wilson, who's at yep. Harvard, and a lot, he had suggestions in where this aspects of live birth probably evolved due to stress in either stressful environment. So maybe, it's really hard if you're the small progeny to find water or food and that sort of thing, if you're in this dry, hot environment. And so maybe that kind of pushed towards if the mom can give them a more, gives them a step hmm. up or maybe it's predation or those aspects. And so if the mom can protect the offspring for longer periods, rather than just throwing an egg out there and say, All right, you're on your own, mm-hmm. then it's kind of, um, will prompt it will increase the survival under these specific conditions. But then if you're under maybe conditions where it's a little bit more stable, you have food resource always available, throwing a hundred offspring out there who can find food and that sort of stuff and reproduce very quickly, is better. Hmm. So it's just kind of, there's this R selected versus K selected reproductive strategies and R you lay a lot of progeny and you kind of invest in that versus K selected ones where you only do one or two where kind of humans are and but you can put more investment into them and then you ensure that they they're more than likely to survive
0: hmm. um <clears throat> yeah i it, now i'm uh i'm i'm stuck on i said eec earlier and now i'm remember it's like it's ess what's the evolutionary term about about stability finding stability I can't in a system the top my head, ah. yeah yeah Shoot, it's one of those things yeah. where it's like you know, once it gets in your head, like ah, what is it? Um, okay, well, uh, okay, so so you're studying live birth yeah. in in what species?
1: Um, right now, only cockroaches, but I also have some uh, collaborative projects looking at it in tsetse flies, and that's what I did for my postdoc, hmm. and so it's I kind of continued that into the lab here, and so that's the first line of stuff I do. Yeah, what
0: other? What other differences are there in the, uh, sorry, was it K and R birth strategies? Oh, usually do, it's... Do, does, that, does that express
1: itself in, um,
0: in differences in adult
1: life? Usually, and usually a lot of K strategist ones will usually live a lot longer, mm. too. And the idea is, is even live a lot longer because you're by investing more into them, you're likely to be living longer, too. There's a few other car- but th- those are the main the main characters associated with those two different reproductive strategies
0: okay um what else you got about uh, studying
1: so um we have i have a line of antarctic research and so we have a whole but from in 2017 we went down collected tens of thousands of samples and we're still processing all of them so which tr- in that we're trying to look at how uh climate change or Differences in stress exposure can affect the reproductive capacity of some of these Antarctic invertebrates. They're stuck, so like they're on these islands, and if the climate changes, they have no wings, so they're flies, but they have no wings, so they mm-hmm. lost them, and so they're stuck there. So, like, what sort of what's going to happen as maybe this summer period gets longer? Is how's that going to affect their reproductive potential, their ability to survive, and so how does um, changes in host like a host availability for the ticks. So as penguins change in the area, how will that affect their survival? And so there's a little bit of that work in there. And um, I'm hoping going to put in a couple of research grants hoping to go back again within the next couple years. Uh, The next one where we have a lot of eco physiology and ticks and mosquitoes. So we're looking at how ticks and mosquitoes survive the winter, how they respond to stress, uh, both stresses as in like uh, drought and heat stuff that will be changing predicted to change with ever with climate change and um, also one's human-based factors so how does the presence of like being within a city where you have lights on all the time where you have disturbances affect uh, mosquito potential the potential to transmit diseases or their physiology hmm. or ticks for that matter
0: what about what is the kind of importance in terms of um for for humans in terms or in, just in terms of the ecosystem generally if we were to say get rid of all the ticks or get rid of mosquitoes uh would the ecosystem then collapse <laughs> would that be a, would that be a good thing for uh for people that less disease would be spread or would there be some sort of imbalance or trade off what what is What's benefiting from the, the ticks being there?
1: Sometimes it's hard to tell truly until you, like say you accidentally eliminate this, like a tick from the environment. Maybe you don't know. Maybe it happens. They're transmitting diseases, disease that's keeping mice in that area in check
2: mm.
1: or transmitting disease that's keeping raccoons in that area in check.
2: Mm.
1: And so you don't really know until you completely eliminate. And uh, mosquitoes has been assumed that they actually do play roles in the environment as food for other like aquatic predators and maybe small fish and that sort of thing. So they have some a um, bigger role within like kind of the uh, food web or ecosystem in the area. So getting rid of those, you're, you're, you're never hundred percent sure if when you get rid of an organism out of ecosystem, what impact it will have? Maybe if it's a robust robust ecosystem where you have multiple insects that are serving as the food for these fish, then you get rid of the one, great. Like, it'll probably bounce back. They'll feed on something else. It'll probably be okay. But maybe due to pollution or something else, you've eliminated a lot of the other potential food sources for small fish in the stream. You get rid of the mosquitoes. They're one of the major food sources. Then all of a sudden, maybe you then you see a crash in a lot of, like, Uh, Other like the small fish eat the big fish that serves as a food source for maybe some sort of like bald eagles and you may see a decline in those Mm -hmm. so it's really hard to predict what eliminating one organism from an environment will do Hmm. and my guess is it would you would probably have a bigger effect if you eliminated all mosquitoes than you would if you eliminated like a ticks from an area but that's just a guess
0: All right. So, well, we can we can work out we're we're a long ways from that, right? Of yeah. of all the, of all the things, we could probably get rid of a few ticks and and benefit from it, right? Is it is, is I mean, as your role as a researcher, do you ever even think in those terms is part of what you're doing here figuring out how to possibly how do, get oh. rid of uh some ticks for for human populations or are you just trying to well the, the understand and and kind of uh, like have this hands off
1: it's a little bit it's understanding their biology but then one of the goals is is to eliminate either try to eliminate and reduce them or actually try to put ticks like make mosquitoes and ticks that are actually their resistant to the diseases. Mm. So there's been a lot of recent studies with a lot of kind of gene drive systems and those where you can go in and make mosquitoes and put them out there that their progeny only are males. Mm-hmm. So you can suppress populations. There's, um, incompatibility. So you, there's actually a bacteria that is present within certain types of mosquitoes that if the, say, if a male has a bacteria and a female doesn't have the bacteria, none of their offspring will be viable. And mm. then, or if the female has a different type of bacteria, then they'll actually—it's called Wolbachia. Then the, they, they, then they'll be incompatible. So it creates mm. this incompatibility during mating. And so then they've used that actually in, on a couple islands and a couple test areas, and really been able to reduce mosquito populations significantly. Interesting. And so they have been trying this in certain areas, and. It, it seems to work and I, I believe right now they're doing their first release of these um, mosquitoes down in Miami area and they're showing that it's, it's having significant effects on populations of like 80s, 80s, so so like, uh, Zika mosquitoes. And so they're starting to try these in some areas and it see it seems to be reducing the populations, but a lot of times what will happen with these and this has happened in, multiple situations with mosquito control they'll reduce them reduce them reduce them and they'll get them 95 percent reduced and it's it's not cheap to reduce the mosquito populations like these control programs cost a lot of money Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden as they're down to five percent of their former population oh you're like oh they're not bad anymore they're gone Ah. and then you stop spending the money to do it then you see that's them. like
0: my career every time i catch a few breaks i'm like i'm gonna kick up my feet for a little bit it, and then i <laughs> uh, let my foot off the gas and then all of a
1: sudden yeah it's it, it's, just a, <laughs> it's
0: like that with mosquitoes too. it's, it's like that it's with, like with anything
1: any life. pest and yeah. you get rid of most of them like, oh they're great they're gone but maybe and then maybe you eliminate them from like these four counties but two counties over they haven't been controlling them at all it's still pretty bad there you yeah. stop they come back Huh. and so there's been a lot of issues with that in control or it's you made a lot of efforts to control this pest cuz
0: i i imagine once you have it down to 5% it's probably your costs are have lowered quite a bit at that point or are they the same
1: it depends and so sometimes it's it's maybe 5% in a small pocket somewhere so you almost still have to do the same amount of like say releases of these modified mosquitoes in order to ensure that you have so many males out there that you can actually suppress and have them mate with any females other than a normal wild type male. And mm. it's kind of you have to actually keep on it. And you can't usually maybe you can cut it back somewhat, but it's how much can you cut it back and still it still it be and and still the control be effective?
2: Hmm. BetMGM MGM welcomes you with a special offer on the NBA. Simply place a $10 Moneyline wager on today's game. If either team hits a three-pointer, you'll win $200 in free bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. Just use bonus code CHAMPION200 when you make your bet. Bet BetMGM is proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA, and there's endless ways to make it rain with the king of sportsbooks. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use bonus code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if a three-pointer is made in today's game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager Washington DC and Virginia only new customer offer all promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit free bets expire seven days from issuance please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700
0: I mean I, I guess we all kind of intuitively understand uh, mosquitoes and how they Fly around and feed and everything, but a tick. Am I understanding it right that they're just kind of like dropping off of? They
1: usually never drop off of you. So what they'll do is is
0: is that is that what most people think, or am I just uh, or am I just ridiculous? A lot of people think that. Okay, so
1: well they'll usually find them like in their hair or something like that. So they assume that they oh they must have dropped into my hair that's usually not the case what happened so because that always
0: seemed like what a crazy spectacular feat to be able to time the
1: dro- the dropping just right from yeah. 40 feet in the air or whatever so th- you would that's why people like oh they would say oh that's amazing well a lot of times so you're walking through the grass or you're walking through the brush what they'll do is they'll do something called questing hmm. and so it sounds like some awesome thing they're doing but it's not they're just really, they've climbed up to a top of a blade of grass, a leaf, and those, or one of those ones. And then they sit there and they reach their legs out. And their legs have kind of little hooks on the end. And what they're doing is they're just kind of waiting for a cat, dog, human to come by. You brush against them, they get hooked to it. And then then they start migrating around your body looking for a place to bite to start feeding and unlike mosquitoes only feed for like five minutes at the most most of the ticks they're going to feed a few days mm. and so they they'll they'll bite they emerge into they kind of burrow into your skin and they're usually there for one or two days for some of the earlier stages but they could be up there three to five days for some of the adult stages feeding huh I,
0: so i like that so I think if I were a tick, the part that I would appreciate the most is the ju- just like kind of chilling in the hammock, waiting for something to come by. How how long can uh, can something wait for? How long can these things go without feeding? A couple years. A couple years. Yeah, and so I right- would have never guessed that <laughs> under the right situations, they're uh- just so literally they're just. On the same blade of grass? They won't wait on the same blade of grass.
1: So they'll wait for a period of time. And the other thing that's amazing about ticks, they don't drink water, like liquid water. So they can absorb water from the humidity. And so a lot of times they'll be on the blade of grass and then they'll they'll dry out for a bit. Then they'll migrate back down into the kind of soil substrate where it's more humid. They rehydrate and they come back up again. Mm -hmm. And then they wait again and they wait again. And they just do that Every day or so for weeks, months, and so we've had some studies in the lab where we have looked at changes in gene expression during starvation and under like if you put them full time in the lab under relatively warm conditions, pretty much we see them no ill effects up to maybe forty to fifty weeks, and this is in the and we kept them in a lab like. Temperature, which is warm, sometimes. If it gets colder, it, they're in a nice stable environment. It'll be a couple years. There's other there's other ticks which are called soft ticks. And when we were touring the lab earlier, I showed you some of those. Those can have been rumored to be able to survive for up to ten to fifteen years between feeding. That is amazing. Yeah, they're 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 huh this sit and wait strategy. Where they are, they are adapted to go potentially long periods between meals. So, what's their lifespan? I, they could, they could push through it in as fast as le- like maybe 150 days that they can just feed, fall off, molt, find a host, and then do that again. But if you add these like months periods for each stage, all of a sudden you can go for like you feed as a, like a little tiny larva, which are the size of a poppy seed hmm. and if not smaller, and then they'll feed, they can fall off. Those can survive four to five months. If not some species up to six to eight months as the larva as an egg, then a larva, and then what you can do then is then all of a sudden you can do that as a nymph and then do that as an adult. So all of a sudden you can have an individual that's maybe from the time it was emerged from egg to an adult. Maybe three, four, five years old. It just extended every single one of its developmental stages as far as it possibly could. Hmm. hmm. That
0: is fascinating. Uh, but but they they would be much much quicker too. So so what's the opposite end of that? So if everything's just absolutely perfect for this tick environment, maybe one hundred and forty best- to one hundred fifty days okay
1: and so that's when like you can go from like larva which are the little tiny ones that are really small all the way up to the adult you can get through that if the temperature's right like they fall off after they fed molt find a host like the next day or maybe after a couple days when they when they're ready to feed again you can get through about much faster so there's a lot of plasticity in this kind of but that would be the
0: run. most optimal, like the shorter the better. Just get, it. and then so after they reproduce, are they, they die? They die.
1: Yeah. Okay. So unlike a lot of them, so particularly the females, they'll actually lay, a few hundred to a couple thousand eggs, and pretty much if you've ever seen those big ticks, like if on your dog on yourself, the big adults that are swelled up, that the size of like, I don't know, a quarter, like between a nickel and a quarter in kind of diameter. Those ones, if it's a female, what it'll do is it'll take as much as process as much as that blood and turn it all into eggs. They'll lay their eggs and deflate to mm. about half the size with the eggs, hmm. and so you can end up with a lot of. So one female can lay thousands, hundreds of thousands of eggs, and then you end up with these people call them the larval ticks or seed ticks, where they'll emerge, and some people will call them tick bombs, where you'll have a thousand of these little hundreds or thousands of these little ticks on a leaf Hmm. because they'll all kind of come out and then emerge upward. You hit one of those, rather than having one or two ticks on you, you have a couple hundred to a thousand tick larva climbing up, up you trying to feed. And what? so the larva feeds on blood as well? The larva, so they have three developmental stages, a larva, nymph, and adult. All the stages, all ticks are obligate blood feeders. They only feed on blood. So every stage they have to feed on blood to advance to the next stage or reproduce.
0: Hmm. So how does? So it's just ready to go for just from day one. It's ready to latch onto something.
1: Yeah, and usually the small. It's so like usually the smaller seed larval ticks, they will usually feed on something that's smaller. So they'll feed on like hmm. mice, or chipmunks, or something along those lines. Then the bigger they get, the bigger host they usually feed on. Hmm. hmm. What's um, what's the
0: most? What's your favorite um, reproduction style out there? Like, I, like I'm a big fan of the damsel fly penis. I'm just like a real sucker for it. Um, I, I don't know. Do are there any ticks out there with like some real? No, the ticks are pretty, going on.
1: The ticks are pretty boring. Um, so we can get there's there's a lot of weird types of uh, reproduction, and so. You get a lot of like the flies in some of the moths and they have really these kind of ornate uh, reproductive mechanisms where you have like this male penis that will have like hooks and barbs and all that. Yeah. One fantastic, and you have that sort of thing. Um, one of my always one of the go tos, and I think one of the most interesting ones, is bed bugs. They undergo traumatic because oh, they stab in the abdomen, traumatic, right? in, oh, traumatic insemination. Goodness. Yeah, and yeah, so they and it, it's horrific, and that's this evolution in the females to the point where the the common human bed bug the females have a specific organ to accept that traumatic insemination yeah and so it's very it's a very different uh system yeah and so that that's an interesting one there's all sorts of other ones um that are out there where there's like uh ones like so robber flies they'll and other or insects they'll bring um like some like gifts or that sort of, them mate with the females. Yeah, but then they'll they'll cheat and give them like a rock wrapped. Oh open. yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah,
0: yeah. So, What's the? Uh, oh shoot, the nursery web spider. I think does that. They'll like, do that. Yeah, ra- wraps it up yep. in the in in silk, and it and it, it looks like like, like this beautifully gift wrapped package, and and she opens it up while he's like going to town, and, and it's then, a sticker. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. great. Yeah, a <laughs> uh, snaky. Um, you gotta watch out for that. So ticks and mosquitoes are they? Um, has. Is that something that has been studied in terms of what um, what kind of selection is is being done in, in terms of what a, what a potential mate is is looking for, like what females are looking for?
1: Yeah, um, there's actually if there's a lot of work. It, it's for research. Mosquitoes for insects are probably one of the most researched organisms because mm-hmm. they're of, of of importance, and so there's a lot of aspect. It turns out like there's um differences in seminal fluid proteins so there's a lot of good work that's been done on there so like the fluids transferred during mating have different effects on the females so some of them will uh prevent damage to sperm some of them will uh, encourage the females from not remating so they get mated. These uh, proteins will do that. Um, does any of them make them like really talkative at all? I have no idea. Some of them make them. Uh, they have impacts with like uh, potential ovulation and those aspects. Some of them, they sperm plugs that was too. Such a dumb joke. Yes, it I was, don't... and that's why that's why I didn't respond to it. I just moved on. <laughs> that was
0: that was a nice low point for that episode
1: and uh, that's why i was just like yeah we're just keep going on that one um, there's a, a mating plug yeah in, i like mating plugs and so those those get mated in there and then they prevent they actually prevent the sperm of the next yeah male from inseminating
0: But then doesn't the next male sometimes evolve little like devices to pull that plug out. Bingo. And so that's this race, the never ending arms race. It's fascinating.
1: And so they'll have ones that like, actually like as part of their, they'll go in and scoop anything that's out there. So then they put the next one in there and then you're just like, like, it's, Uh, it's, I I love that. Well, I'm
0: just so fascinated by kind of the red queen effect of, of, just well, everything predator and prey and yeah. and um, reproduction and everything. But when it when it comes to sex, it it's sure that uh, it's almost like that hedonic treadmill of of this never ending uh, um, mating complexity yeah. is is fascinating.
1: And and that's one of the 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 parts of biology that causes like such quick speciation sometimes. Like mm. so, if you look at so. Um, one of the airlines, I do a lot of like genomic research, like on genomes and organisms. And if you look at like evolution of, of genes, and th- there's a few that change very quickly. Hmm. And a lot of times it's immune genes and reproductive associated genes. So if you look at like the protein, say in like a housefly's uh, seminal fluids, mm-hmm. and then look at another fly seminal fluids, they'll be, you would assume, oh, maybe they're not, you'll see some commonalities like usually there's some that prevent oxidative of stress some that um, some peptidases that break down proteins and those but then they'll be like half of them will be unique and once you get hmm. you start evolving you get males you get this kind of these quick changes in these seminal fluid or reproductive associated proteins that can quickly cause all of a sudden this female can't mate with this male anymore and you can quickly get two Species that may still look very much alike, but they're not reproductively isolated. And then the immune genes, they evolve quickly because you have this immune, this arms race with bacteria and parasites and those, but in viruses. And so you have to evolve and have differences in phenotypes among your population to tolerate or respond to different types of um, pathogens. And so usually if you look among insects or uh, vertebrates, or the, those are two of the quickest evolving groups of genes.
2: Hmm.
0: So, I, I have a couple more questions, but this would probably be a good point to. I have my guests each week uh, plug a, a charity of their choice. Did you have one in mind?
1: I I like to donate to the Boys and Girls Club. So, even Wonderful. though it's even I, though I it's, was in the
0: boys, uh, 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 or I've I've done I was, did boys and girls stuff yeah. when I was a kid.
1: And it's—I think it's a great one that you can get a lot of involvement in. Um, I just—I I volunteered for it, and it's—it's bit—it's enjoyable to do because I think there's a lot of kids that don't have sometimes the privilege of doing certain things mm-hmm. without kind of this support, and so that's uh, the one I would like to plug. Awesome. Um, all right, so
0: ticks. Uh, from Wisconsin, people are worried about them. What, uh, what can people do? Is there, is there anything that the that the public, um, doesn't know about that you're just like shocked that everyone needs to know this about ticks and preventing Lyme disease? Well,
1: the there's a few things. Um, the the first one is. Do not burn the tick off with a lighter. Oh, I didn't or the, know that. And so that's. That's not a good thing to do. So the, the it's for and for two reasons. So the first one, a lot of people say, oh, you burn it off. You put like nail polish on it. You do that sort of thing. What will happen a lot of times, and it's been suggested that you do that, the tick gets stressed out. Then it starts spitting into you
2: uh-huh.
1: more. And you may very well increase the likelihood that you get the disease. And so that's the one thing. So rather than doing that, what you have to do is you have to go in and get some good tweezers get into your skin and pull out the tick and its full mouth parts Uh and so um a lot of times when i can't just pull it by the body no because a lot you'll leave those mouth parts in there and the mouth parts can still have like part of the salivary glands and those and you can still potentially get i don't understand so you're going in with a uh, like just you're taking a tweezers
0: and you're just like pressing the, i mean the, maybe there's like a youtube video you or can see second. some
1: of it in the youtube people have put videos up about it and it's because they actually burrow into that your skin yeah so they're, 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 well i get that i just don't know
0: how a tweezers is then getting it out i think you'd almost like need a needle or to do like a little surgery quick
1: uh, it's when you buy tw- you have to get in and grab the mouth parts and you're at this point a lot of times you're within your own skin Okay. It's not just the surface anymore. And it's important to get all of that out, sterilize the area. And so that's, that's kind of one of the big things that, um, that people just don't know. They say, oh, you should just burn it off with a lighter. Okay. And you're like, okay. And, but people don't do that and like know that you should gather. And then along with that is you should always save that tick. Just take it, throw it in a uh, trash bag, or not a trash bag, a sandwich bag, and just put it in your freezer. Because sometimes, in some cases, it's if they think you might have been exposed to Lyme disease or some other disease, sometimes it's easier to test the tick than it is to test the person.
0: So you don't have to go like rushing to the lab with this tick. You
1: just stick it in a freezer.
0: And then if something happens later on.
1: And there's a lot of states that will actually do testing. Oh, okay. And you can send it to the the state department of Hmm. the department of public health and that, and they'll, they'll do testing for uh, sometimes Lyme disease and sometimes a couple other tick-borne diseases, but not always. Um, And so, but then if, if you send that off and it comes up positive for Lyme disease, then maybe you should go take a, A dose of tetracycline or another antibiotic and clear the um then you can make sure you clear the lyme disease early on because a lot of issues with lyme disease particularly lyme disease is not the immediate effects it's the long-term issues that you get after you've been infected with lyme disease Hmm. um and is
0: there a specific time of year that i imagine is worse right like the fall or
1: something or or is it all year round is it even in the winter in, in some areas it's getting to be where you're having issues even into the winter because mm. um I, I i will see days where we actually in this january this past january in cincinnati we went out we had a, a spell of three or four warm days in a row we went out and tried to look for ticks and see if we could find them out and we collected 300 mm. in the middle of january actually it was sorry it was in the middle of december and so it just it, it gotten cold, but it gotten warm. It was in the seventies for a few days in a row, and we we found it. So it takes only a couple warm days in a row, and you might be able to uh, get exposed to a tick even during the winter time.
0: What are these things doing in the winter when it, when it's freezing cold? Uh, uh, burrowing into the ground Our or
1: something like that? Best guesses and from some recent studies we've done is that they're really tolerant to cold, hmm. so they can survive down to negative twenty negative 25 degrees Celsius for short periods of time. And so um, if you you think it gets cold to like way below freezing is negative 20 and you think, oh, that's really cold that all the insects should die. But if you go like an inch below the soil, that'll be buffered to like negative five degrees Celsius. So we think the ticks may go down maybe an inch, two inches in the soil and then that puts them at a, at a temperature that they're easily able to survive. And so that's probably all you need to do is a couple inches in the soil, and they can make it through the winter just like that.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. What about mosquitoes? Is there are there any tricks that uh, that people don't know about?
1: Um, with a lot of mosquitoes, is usually using a repellent is the, probably the best thing to do. Um, and getting rid of like standing water sources around your your house or home or, or those sort of things is some of the best ways to get rid of them. Um, you'll do a lot of like large-scale, people spray a lot of pesticides, but there's a lot of resistance out there to a lot of the types of pesticides. And so like what I usually do is I just go around and I don't have a lot of mosquitoes. I live in a kind of urban suburb would be the best way to describe it. And I just make sure that there's no standing water anywhere on my property. Uh, I make sure my gutters. So like when people think, oh, I got rid of all the standing water, you go up and look in their gutters. When their gutters is clogged up or there's water building up in a gutter, that's mm. perfectly fine. Uh, I've seen mosquitoes developing in the uh, caps of two liter bottles. So by standing water, you don't need a lot of standing water and getting rid of that. And then... Um, Um, like particularly there's the temporal water pools, you can't really do much about ponds and those sort of things, but as long as the ponds have small fish in it, they'll eat a lot of the mosquitoes. So they'll kind of keep them at, um, lower levels, but getting rid of stained water, wearing a, a a repellent. So such as like uh, DEET or, um, like a eucalyptus base repellent. And there's a few different types that you can wear. They, They really do have a big effect on whether or not you get bit by a mosquito.
0: Last question, favorite species and why?
1: Of insects in general or toad bugs? Toad bugs,
0: I I don't know toad bugs. Uh,
1: They look like a little toad. Uh, You find them around like ponds and slow moving water and they hop like a little tiny toad. What? And so that's- Where are they? Uh, We we find them around here. You can find them probably pretty much, I think, at least in the Eastern US, I know for sure. Um, They don't transmit any diseases they don't do anything they just look like a, a small toad that is delightful and i'm excited i'm gonna find those things yeah you just have to walk right along the pond and they you'll see them hop and you'll think it's a a, a like a small toad but it turns out it's a it's a bug hmm. and so in, in a true bug with a kind of piercing mouth parts and they um it's my favorite one no reason other than i just like the way they look
0: awesome that's yep. as good a reason as any.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's what. And then if if we had to go into vectors, I think my favorite are CTFs, and so because they give the live birth, and I did my most of my postdoc work on them, and they're just a really unique system to work on. Awesome. Well, good answer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me today. Oh, no problem. It's been great. And I'm looking forward to the stand-up science.
0: Ah, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to have so much fun. Joshua Benoit, everybody. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you more next week. Next week on the Here We Are podcast, talking elephants with Daniela Chasid. And we have a terrific, super fun conversation. Actually, a fan of the Here We Are podcast who reached out to me, told me she's researching elephants. I was like, Well, who doesn't like elephants? There's got to be one listener out there right now that's like, I hate them. Don't care for elephants. What do they scare you? What, what is it? What do you have against elephants? I want to meet the person who doesn't like elephants. You weirdo! Everyone likes elephants. We're gonna hear all about them next week. I just got done, guys. I don't get a chance to go out and see like live music that often. I don't get much of a chance to see to go to festivals. I'm hoping to change that. I'm. Uh, I, I just did this Port Elliot Festival in Cornwall, England, and it was like kind of like a. Uh, family friendly new agey wellness oriented festival with like chill music there was like one tent for like trashy like teenage um pop cover bands um but everything else is like really like chill acoustic then there was there was a stage with like pretty like hardcore reggae music oddly enough there was a stage for like American, um, uh, like bluegrass and stuff too. But there, there's just all these different um, events you could go to. And then, and then there was like a whole fashion area, and and it was really a big push into a lot of culinary stuff and like organic eating and and that kind of stuff. It, there's like a whole big like yoga and massage and wellness area outside and and there's this beautiful it's like a, a river that was that was always is only a river when it came in during high tide and then the rest of the time it was just like crazy thick mud went and played in some mud and it was just this wonderful cool a little like hippie meets yuppie sort of festival really cool um did an abbreviated version of the good trip show there and and did uh did a this guy rory spowers started this regeneration group and brought me over to talk about uh, consciousness which i didn't even know until i looked on the website a few weeks ago and it's actually been such a a real um blessing i guess uh, uh, in, in that i love thinking and talking about consciousness and i don't have this podcast is has a lot more like grounded ideas of thinking about the mind um and a, you know a little more kind of specific and and testable and and, and less than they like is it ethereal the word, right where like like very like philosophical um realm which I, I don't get as much of a sometimes when i'm a guest on other people's podcasts i I get into, like, the kind of bigger ideas about what consciousness is, but it it just gave me a real opportunity to really hone in on on what some of my ideas about what consciousness is and what it's for um, actually are, and I I put, yeah, it was just, it it should be available online sometime soon, but it's just opened up some possibilities for me of some more topics that I'd like to get, you know, guests for, for on this podcast. A new new ideas for some live shows that I'd like to put together, and ways of presenting some of the stuff during stand up science, and it's just been it's been uh in, really inspiring um, for me. And it was just so nice uh, that all of these, you know, there there wasn't really anything in the way of security or like police officers or anything like that. Around this festival, and you know, it's just a bunch of um, really, you know, bright, interesting, artsy folks bringing their families and that sort of It was, it was just super cool. I'd love to see more of it. I'm, I'm told that they they were saying this the last year of the Port Elliott Festival. It wasn't the it wasn't like it certainly wasn't crazy packed, which was nice for me, but maybe not nice for um, their sustainability. But I, I'm told that they they are told that or they've done this before, where they thought it was maybe going to be the last year and wasn't. But anyway, it was it was pretty amazing, and I, I hope more things like that do take off, and and there's a growing um, market for that. And then I went to this Azora festival, which is a little like. Um, uh, a burning Man type of thing. It's a psy trance festival, and man, do I not like psy trance music! But it was still such an incredible, wonderful experience. Of again, I just loved the people there. It was a different kind of demographic. For this was, you know, way more like hardcore. Everyone's dancing themselves into a transcendental state, like four days at a time and just like uh, 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 <laughs> just like with horrible music but easy to dance too I've, I've been working on my i've always been insecure about uh my dancing I, I think i made the mistake of being like screw this i don't i'm not i don't want to dance and uh, um mostly like fed off of just childhood insecurities my family didn't listen to music growing up so i never developed a sense of rhythm so i am i am just like the embodiment of of a, uh like midwestern white guy with no sense of rhythm on on the dance floor so but it, it's something that i've always been like well if i could go from a um dancer of like a one or a two to like a three to a four or something like that out on the dance floor then then at least I can like blend in a little bit and then that's one less like a mental hang-up that I have that's keeping me from possibly um, uh, exploring other opportunities and and possibly missing out on things in life and I, I think we can do that with I've been thinking more along that line of of you know in being a well-rounded person thinking about some of those domains and and thinking a lot of times we're like well I'll never be as good at that as that person who's a 10 at at that you you watch you watch people that have like dedicated their lives to dancing or or juggling or or uh, driving a forklift or what have you it doesn't matter any specific that's what's interesting about humans is is we've uh we've been able to decentralize things so much and delegate things and get into these very specific specialized niches that that it can seem so intimidating, seeing you know the finished product of mastery, and then when we compare ourselves against, you know, a master of whatever domain, uh, of of course you're going to be um, uh, like, well, why would I ever try to crochet anything? <laughs> uh, but if you could, if you can get yourself. If you can have like the beginner's mindset and get yourself from that like one or two beginner level to even like a lower intermediate level in in domains of your life that 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 are kind of in the areas of interest that you want to be in, like I I would like to be more in um, like I love the psychedelic community and more. Um, I love these festivals and going to them, and that's the one little aspect of being in a festival that um, that I have these hang-ups about. So something I'm working on um, a little bit, and that that music is really, really easy um, for <laughs> today uh, because it's just oh uh, oh uh, uh, or just like that beat over and over. But then it's just the most. ridiculous ridiculous stupid stuff like layered on top of it and those those people those DJs have a skill in their own right but give me a live band any day of the week i would i would rather i would rather hear like heavy metal music or something which i'm not normally into but to like see a a person on stage with a guitar like riffing out a solo in a genre that i'm not necessarily into i would still be able to appreciate it more than say 24 7 psytrance sleeping in a tent uh, never-ending
2: mm, 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 mm,
0: with waking up to 8 in the morning. Two days in a row, I wait, woke up at 8 in the morning to on, on the loops, someone playing cat screams, blaring cat scream layered cat screams, dubbed into their stupid side trance. And it's just... A nightmare. It's so ridiculous that it's like comical and. Uh, you know, it's my first festival like this, but I, I I, mean, I appreciate it on so many levels, and I love ridiculous things, and I love the idea of, like, putting yourself into, like, this really goofy nightmare of a, of a scenario. But I mean, there's plenty of amazing things about it as well, absolutely. But then there was the cons of, like, trying to sleep with side trance music just blaring 24 7 and but it was this just wonderful amazing festival with all these different there was this uh, the little house that i was uh, that i was in so this festival it's this dude's land has just these amazing beautiful like art structures that are up permanently all year round normally there's just like cattle and stuff going around through them but um for those two weeks a year they they have this set up these amazing i I mean go to my instagram and take a look at some of the pictures sorry i didn't take more sorry i'm not good with taking photos um I, i i know you guys try to be supportive and follow me on twitter or or Instagram and stuff and I'm not an active poster on there. Another conversation for another day. But I, I took I took some. I, I try to force myself to take a few more. But there's like uh, this art barn where you could do your own little art projects with some chiller music playing around. And and then where I was uh in this house that there's a bunch of like talks, a bunch of like new agey talks. It was fun because I got to do like this kind of skeptic's take on DMT, and it was people really liked it because every everyone was saying the same stuff about like universal consciousness and you're talking to gods and blah blah blah, and so I think I was like a little bit of a breath of fresh air and and amongst the uh, the other stuff that was going on there but it was this cool space with with a bunch of uh cool interesting people giving these talks and then outside of it there was like a board game area i'm way into board games and just all these different areas with different kinds of i wish there would have been more diversity of music but there was different kinds of music all sorts of different kinds of art and i love the psychedelic community so much i love the art i love the people i love uh just everything about it, I got myself a long, like, I I found a booth at Port Elliott with, uh, um, that had, like, really, really old vintage clothes from, like, the early 1900s, and I got this old top hat and, like, a gunslinger, <laughs> leather jacket, so I got my whole, I got my whole uh, festival uniform now, even have, I fought against it my whole life, but uh, I, I even now have a fanny pack, that's right, what? Some of you, what, who is this person that we've uh, entrusted our, uh, our lives to, to provide meaningful Scientific information. Now, now we hear he's off, wearing, fanny pack with a DMT monkey on it, around a bunch of hippies. You bet I am, and proud of it. Uh, I I have uh I have many hats that I wear in life, and one of them is a top hat. Um, so. I just had a blast. I don't get to do things like this. It made me, it made me want to check out Burning Man. But it also made me realize that, like, I might also value sleep and comfort more than that. I, I will do Burning Man. I will. I'll do it at some point. Um, life is short. We need to do all of the things that we can. And that's a bucket list thing. But there's all these other festivals popping up like this. And I think that's exciting. And, you know, I want to be a part of it. And I want to... So it's it's been giving me a lot of thought into other shows that I can develop more in, in that realm of things. And I was able to, during this DMT talk that I gave, I was able to really express some super big concepts and uh, talking about tying the dmt space into some neuroscience ideas i have and some evolution ideas that i have some stuff that would be hard for you know anyone to follow it's hard for me to even put together the ideas and and the audience was just on like hanging on every word and these guys were like dead tired listening to a week long of psytrance music and just super enthusiastic and again like i didn't see a single police officer the whole time i was there There there's security and stuff but they're more just like making sure um uh you know booths were closing at the um right times or or whatever I I I don't even know what they were doing but basically like I saw in the entire time there was no like I didn't see like a single anything even approaching like a drunken fight or shit talking I didn't I didn't see a single drunk person I didn't see a single person that I would have notably been like oh that person's a little too drunk there's people drinking and everything And there's definitely a lot of people on drugs, but I I wouldn't have been able to be like, oh, that person's like super messed up. I saw one person, I think there's 40,000 people at the festival. I saw one person there in the five days that I was there uh, who was having, you know, what looked like, uh, you know, probably a medical issue. I I don't know what what drugs they did, but it was, you know, they were in rough shape. Um, I know I... I'm confident that they, you know, pulled out of it okay and everything. And, the, and there was like a medical staff there attending to them and took them off in an ambulance and everything. But, and I'm, I'm sure they're totally fine now, but they were, they were having, it looked like a real rough trip. Someone that, that went, uh, went with the wrong combination of substances um, and, but, you know, outside of that 40,000 people of, of people like really, you know, going for it then, and, and, you know, getting into doing a bunch of LSD and everything else. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't see anything like this. And it, I, I mean, this was, I, I saw less problematic things than like one night at a given dive bar might have um and so you know i think there's just so much hope and and everyone was in such good shape oh my goodness and uh just the uh, the gorgeous people everywhere and uh, that that was the other thing of just the noticing just what a dramatic obesity crisis the u.s is having i imagine lots of other countries are following suit including people in the in the uk but um man there there was i just didn't see any obesity in in these festivals at all not everyone was in perfect shape but my Gosh, it was like when people talk about people in LA being gorgeous or whatever, this was like this Ozora Festival. It was like, wow, a lot of beautiful, wonderful, interesting, bright people everywhere. And that's the kind of stuff that can inspire others and and create real change because who doesn't want to be around a bunch of smart gorgeous beautiful people people that are maybe a little insecure with themselves sure but i mean it it's and and we all have our insecurities but isn't that what we are ultimately trying to go for not in, not in like uh, beauty of like we all must be gorgeous and have like um you know get plastic surgery and look a certain way and blah 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 but just in in the sense of if you take care of yourself and you exercise and you diet, you'll look good. You'll have a nice body. That's uh, some bigger, some thinner, but you will if you're if you're on top of things and you're taking care of yourself and you're living a balanced life and managing your anxieties and everything else, and you're a well balanced human being, you will look like a well balanced human being. And I, I think that uh, that you know, whatever it takes to influence the world to get there. And I I would much rather see this, uh, you know, these festivals and the celebration of humanity that we all get to be a part of and see and take in rather than this like TV version of, you know, finding The most attractive five people on earth and then putting a bunch of makeup on them and airbrushing them and and having that be some ideal that we're going towards these festivals are a way of like we can all we can all be there and you can see it and and it was just really inspiring to me and not to mention permanent porta potties that had power washers a truck going just around to all the porta potty stations 24/7 in power washing all of the porta potties all of the time i mean i was constantly i would be like in a porta potty and there would be porta potties being power washed like Right next to me just uh, that happened so many times they were just on top of it so you're always going into like a freshly power washed porta potty oh my goodness why isn't that everywhere so i say all of this to keep you up to date with the um, fun things that, that I've been doing, give you the scoop on some cool things that might be checking, worth checking out, this Azora Festival outside of Budapest is really something cool, and, and I, it, all, all the food and the drinks and stuff like that when you actually got there were all really reasonable, um, by the way, and I, I don't know how much the tickets were, but it didn't seem like that, that crazy, and, so yeah, that it was something that I, I highly recommend. Might not be for everybody, but it definitely has. Lately, I've been getting interested in, and I've been kind of putting some of the psychedelic stuff on the back burner in some regards, and you know, put the good trip a show away. For the most part, I've just been doing it like maybe every two or three months. And I'm thinking of ways of like restructuring a, a new psychedelic comedy show, psychedelic science comedy show, and um, pitching some some uh, series a series of talks with different guests and stuff to to different festivals and and just being a, a bigger part of the psychedelic community that I think is on the rise and and really blowing up right now and and. Um, I I think that once it's a community that you experience and get to be a part of, it's it's um something that is just really refreshing. Uh, you know, I didn't see a single sports jersey <laughs> the entire time. None of the like here's my conditioned group think from a child, and I'm not saying that there's not like plenty of um people that are like ridiculous caricatures that are is equally uh, not like some authentic self or self-actualized self or whatever in in a part of the these psychedelic communities and sometimes like rebelling against mom and dad and societal norms can can make you look like just as much of a joke as as the kind of mindless automatons just following along the, um, the contrived arbitrary, um, pop culture society is this way. So I'll just follow along specifically with whatever the societal norms are. So, you know, going against the grain can, can be just as predictable and trite and cliche, and I've fallen into this category and i've i've gotten myself in in trouble just by like you know uh like a closed-minded open-mindedness of like no we must go the exact opposite direction of of how everyone else is going uh that that can also be like silly and unhealthy and not a clear picture of reality and everything else but but I, i i think that um the psychedelic community brings a a nice aspect to to uh, it's a nice piece of the puzzle of of the whole and it's an underrepresented um and exciting and powerful um piece of piece of the puzzle and you know i i think that this is a way of uh, i think part of the problem with say the stereotype of science is that it's that it has a stereotype of being an eggheady or or stuffy or or whatever, and I think that there are ways that we can have critical thinking and creativity and uh, test things and share big ideas and also dance and listen to music and paint and have have fun and combine all of these things, and and that will lead to more balanced life a more balanced view for us a a better click picture of how to move forward with this human human race in a sustainable way um to pace the human race hey um but uh so how do i do this how how do i figure out a way to integrate what I do into the psychedelic community and integrate the psychedelic community into what I do, that that sort of thing, be a part of these different worlds. And I'm trying, I'm thinking of some things, and I, I've been sharing a few ideas um, with some folks and putting together some new, I think that there will be another psychedelic live tour um around the corner i, I think 2020 will 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 see that potentially coming to fruition and um you know i i had the i haven't abandoned it i obviously had the documentary psychonautics um come come out which if you haven't seen check that out um, and then i also i think the most exciting thing right now is that this myco Meditations psilocybin assisted retreat uh, in Jamaica. My my specific we had we put Shane Moss private retreat on their site. Uh, that that doesn't it, it's open to the public. We we use the word private just so people that don't know who I am, you know, people that aren't listeners to the show or, or aren't familiar with my stuff, aren't aren't just signing up just because it's like a. You know, a week that's that's open. I, I'm hoping to get, um, you know, kind of like-minded, um, sciencey folks there. So it's about four thousand dollars. That's the bad news. Um, the good news is 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 you could spend um, uh, four thousand um, to take a all-inclusive trip to Jamaica. And you wouldn't get near the same value that this is getting with, with even without the the mushroom aspect of it. And you'll make a bunch of new friends, including me and and my assistant and um, and her uh, boyfriend, good good friend of mine, comedian Steve Gillespie, who's who's in in kind of the uh, they're they're into like the psy trance kind of world and. And are familiar with those spaces. And then there's also different facilitators there. What's nice is, you know, I, I have kind of a science skeptical angle on things. And then there's, there's also facilitators there that have a spiritual, a mystical take on things. There's uh, usually a therapist there. And, and uh, you know, a nurse. And, and um, there's just a lot of... Uh, variety, so you know, everyone interprets these. A lot of this is just kind of translating the inner world, and I speak a certain language that you know I favor, and and I uh, I think is sometimes a unique and interesting take on on the psychedelic world, and I'm very proud of my little take that I've put together put together and in my perspective and everything but I think at the same time I, I think it's really really important and valid to get as many different points of view on this as possible and that's why I want to invite you you guys to check it out and think about coming uh, because it's it's just 15 people so it's going to be this amazing very hands-on, um, experience and you know we'll, re- we'll really get to know each other and spend a bunch of time on the off days as well I'm, I'm around the whole time so not just when you're um, tripping which I, I don't even really see myself as adding a lot of value to that experience of, of the actual trip itself I I think where I will uh, where I really like my added value is in terms of in terms of um, just my ability to uh, help people set intentions and prep people for what they're going to experience, and then afterwards helping interpret some of the experience and some of the integration stuff is is the stuff that I really like doing and I'm good at, but um, also during the trip, happy to help you out, sit with you, and get you a glass of water, anything you need. Um, so. Uh, it's just a really cool thing to get to do. And it, it's so much different than the way in which I... Normally, you know, my way of contributing is is doing a podcast or speaking in front of, you know, a large number of people. And it's kind of a ma- mass... Focus on, like, mass and maybe medium communication. And this is really intimate and kind of hands-on. And it helps give me a, a, a fuller picture of of what can be gained from these experiences and how how to best um, help others and and spread the word. So I think it's really special. I I absolutely like. I've, I've gone back and forth with how much I want to be a part of this and and put my name attached to um, any any company doing something that um, you know could could potentially have. Um, Uh, stigma attached to it and um and alienate other uh potential listeners and everything else um by by pigeonholing myself as some crazy drug guy or something like that that uh, it is a that's a huge um concern of mine and i I guess ultimately it, it shouldn't be but i but anything that jeopardizes my ability to communicate science to anybody um, is something that I have to factor in because that's what I care about most and and that that is a cost there and and I think a lot about trying to meet people where they are and and if being involved in the psychedelic community sometimes hurts my ability to reach say a rural audience of people that that might otherwise be interested in hearing um, some of the stuff about why we behave the way that we do. So um, something that I think a lot about, but I've just had, I've done enough of these retreats now where I've just seen people have their entire lives just completely change for the better. I can't promise you that that's going to happen to you, but I can tell you that it's been happening to f- four out of five people have absolutely just had their lives changed so much for the better from one week of this uh, this experience, and it's really something special, and it's really something that I believe in, and I would I would hate for you to spend four thousand dollars and come all the way to Jamaica and, and be the one out of five um, people that maybe doesn't. Um, Benefit in, in the same way. I would be inclined to think that you would still gain a lot of benefits and still have a really nice time. Um, but but there has been there there has been like one out of twenty people that don't just don't even feel anything <laughs> for whatever re I else I'll, I'll probably never understand that. But um, but it happens. Um, and and so you know I I definitely. I'm, I'm putting my own, um, my own name and my own credibility in this. And part of it is because I, I really believe in even having had my own problems, which I, I ultimately, I think I've really benefited from. I think that this is, um, the future. I think that, I think that psychedelics are, you know, a tool, not the tool, not the ultimate tool you know there's a lot of other shit you know if you aren't uh, I, I wish all of you were just I wish we were all doing proper diet and exercise you know I, I think that would create more change for the world than um, than psychedelics would in in most cases for most everybody but uh, you know life is a huge complicated puzzle and um, and I, I think that psychedelics could really, really be a huge, important puzzle piece that a lot of people are missing from their lives. So consider it something to think about. I would love to see you there, and um, yeah, make sure and uh, make sure and send me a, question, uh, a message if you have any questions. But the micro meditations people can definitely answer a lot more questions if you fill out an application. Um, you know, you may not even qualify that um, there there might be some things that that you uh, Inhibit you from being able to To go so that's something that you might want to check out first um, if, if it's something that you're even considering it Unfortunately, it may not be a possibility for everybody because they have to factor in what's what's safe for each individual so um, With that, um, uh, uh, I'm really grateful that I'm in a place where I'm able to get to go off and do these fun and cool and meaningful experiences. So I want to thank you guys for all of your support and, and listening and spreading the word and the reviews and Patreon and all the other stuff that helps me be able to do what I do. So those of you that listen all the way, to the end, you are, of course, my favorites.
2: Star a podcast <clears throat> a
0: podcast network.